Hey, I just want to pause and say thank you so much for joining us today online to listen to our messages. If you just joined us, we're in a series called Mixed Emojis, and what we're looking at is how do we navigate the different emotions we face in all of our relationships? Probably today, if not this week, you've used one of those emojis, right? The heart eyes emoji, the angry emoji, the hand in the face emoji. Uh, we speak in emoji language through text messages. Well, uh, there's different emotions that we face, and that's why we call this series Mixed Emojis. So I hope you enjoyed today's message, and if you haven't, download our app or go to nextsteps.me for any information that you need about Thrive Church or visit our website at thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's great to have you guys with us today, and you have joined us uh, on Super Bowl Sunday as we kick off a brand new series called Mixed Emojis. And over the next several weeks, what I want to do for you is help you, because you can't control things that happen to you, right? But you can control your response to them. You can control your emotions. I teach my son this. He's learning this phrase, I can choose my attitude. And we want to help you in the area of relationships. So whether you're single, you're widowed, you're divorced, you're married, we want to kind of give you the concept of what does the Bible describe of how we should respond in our emotions to other people. And today we're going to talk about this word called love, right? We're in the month of February. So if you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, this week, maybe you have sent the emoji with the little love eyes, right? Maybe you have sent that to, to someone this week in a response to something, meaning, oh, I love that. Uh, that's usually my wife and I, our response to food, what we're going to eat, because we really love food. So we're like, yeah, I really want that. And I want to talk to you about that today, because many of us don't understand the concept of what biblical love is, of what God calls us to as followers of Jesus when it comes to this term called love. And I'm going to be honest with you, I really didn't understand love growing up, didn't understand what love really meant. It was only until after my dad passed, and I've shared this story with you before about how I kind of understood love. My dad wasn't a lovey-dovey guy. He didn't hug you and say, oh, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. Rarely did he ever say those things to me. But my dad's life, when I look back at that, I don't have dad issues because I saw my dad love me. He didn't say it a lot. He showed it. And one of the things that really got me as, as I, you know, I had a son and, and really I announced to my dad as he was in ICU dying that we were pregnant. And, um, and so as, as the circle of life, as he passed, I had my son. I then began to realize a lot about sacrifice, a lot about love. And I realized my dad had sacrificed retirement to put me through school debt-free. That he never got to taste what retirement was really like. That he ended up dying in ICU before he could ever get there. Why? Because my dad loved me. And he said, I refuse to leave you with school debt, and I will give up retirement. That's love. See, in our generation we live in, we confuse what real love is. And so, therefore, we wonder why we find love so elusive. and We can't find it, and our relationships are always up and down. And that's why over half of people that get married uh, end up in divorce, because we don't really understand this thing called love according to the way God has created it. And understand that God created love. And so he kind of creates the parameters for it. And when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, that's the, that's, this is the thing you kind of hear at weddings, right? You go to a wedding and you hear this. Or maybe even at a funeral about somebody who they thought just really loved people. But we miss it in 1 Corinthians 13, and here's why. Because Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. 
who was a very spiritual church. He had to like talk to them about spiritual gifts because they were so like enthralled with all these spiritual gifts, they forgot about the unchurched person that was sitting in their midst, right? He was like, gosh, you need to tone it back. Like people don't understand what's going on in your church. And he's speaking to them about gifts and leadership and all this stuff. And so 12 and 14, he's on this spiritual gift, this leadership kick. And then it's like Paul just chases a rabbit. But Paul wasn't a writer like that. Paul rarely chased rabbits unless it was to say how much he loved Jesus and what Jesus had done for him. And then he'd come back to it. But it's like Paul strategically places this idea of biblical love in between 12 and 14. It's like you can't understand leadership. You can't understand spiritual gifts. You can't understand any of that unless you understand what biblical love really is. And so here's what Paul outlines for us. And if you will uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So then he goes in to show you what biblical love is. And understand that without the help of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you can't live this type of love out. It's not something you can just try harder and just tighten your shoes up a little bit, tighten your belt strap and do it. You need God's help. So he outlines this really audacious kind of goal of what love should be in our life. And look what he says. He says, love is patient and kind. Can I be honest with you? I'm pretty impatient, and I can be pretty unkind when I'm impatient. Is there any impatient people? Yeah, I'm the same way. Only a few of you. The rest of you are you're liars. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. This sounds like the opposite of what our relationships look like, especially marriage. We're usually rude, unkind, impatient we demand our own way it's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged it does not rejoice about injustice but rejoice whenever the truth wins out love never gives up love never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance paul wanted this church in corinth to understand this because they had totally missed the mark about what it meant but they were missing the fruit of the Spirit, the personality of God. And many times we can follow Jesus, come to church, do all the check boxes, but we miss this idea of what is biblical love and what does God call us to? Because in our generation, we're a lot like the church at Corinth. Our relationships suffer, our jobs suffer, our parenting suffers because we don't have the same goal of love that Paul outlined for us. Matter of fact, in our society, here's kind of what we view love as. Number one, we view love as neglect. Let me explain. We think in our society, if you truly love somebody, you let them do whatever they want to do. Right? Just do whatever you want to do. Oh, I just love you so much. So that's called, that's called tolerance. I'll just let you. Just go do whatever you want to do. I don't care because I love you. Now, see, that's what we say as adults. If I did that to my son, if I said, buddy, I love you so much, you're going to eat cake every night for dinner, bro, because I love you. 
Yeah, sure, climb that tree and jump off of it, man. I don't care. That's how I love you. Is that love? That's why our society has taught us love. Love is having no standards for people. Let them do whatever they want to do. Run their own thing. Do be totally disobedient to Scripture, and we just don't. I just don't care. It's all good. No, it's not. It's not that. But that's what we've been taught. We've been taught that love is only an emotional feeling. Now, when you first meet someone, you have the butterflies in your stomach. There's the first holding of hands, the first little kiss, and you confuse love with this emotional feeling. Now, let me say, that is part of a relationship, is that emotional feeling. But if you've been married for a little while, that feeling goes away. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we're so confused, and so a lot of times when we don't get the feelings anymore, the euphoria anymore, we're on to the next thing that can give us that euphoria. And for some of us, we confuse love with lust. And I don't even mean sexually. It goes deeper than that. Like some of us in here, we only care for that person because of only what they can do for us. We're in the relationship only for what they can give us. And that's any relationship. We're not in it for what we can do for them. We're in it on what we can get out of them. And that's lust. That's fulfilling your own personal agenda. And if we don't reshape the way that we view love according to Scripture, we will continue to falter, continue to see the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13 operate in our lives, and we will not see the flourishing that God called us to in relationships in general. So today, if you have your notes handy, I want you to write this down because this is simply, simply what love is. And I'm going to explain to you, and this is the central thought today. And it's just two words, love does. Love does. I'm going to unpack this today. What do you mean? We think love is a noun. Love is a verb. We think love is a, well, I, I am in love. Love does. What did my dad do for me? He did. So therefore, I knew he loved. My dad set boundaries for me. He had expectations for me. He was disappointed with me when I made decisions. He was like, I'll just do what you want to do. He loved me. Love does. Love has an action to it. And many times we've been fooled in our society that love is something other than what God has created. Matter of fact, our media and culture you know, understand what they want to do is have you reshape love according to what they think love is. So you never live out what God's biblical love is in our life. That's what they want from us. And we have to understand that love acts. And I'm going to dig into this today, and we're going to look at this. Matter of fact, we all know John 3.16, right? You could probably quote it. And if you're a wrestling fan, you knew it from Austin 3.16. Maybe you don't even know the Bible. But we know that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Right? So that we didn't have to perish, so we could have eternal life. He's, he did that for us, and we know that. But I, I want to show you 1 John 3.16. And look at that, and we'll have it on the screen for you. Because 1 John 3.16 is John actually, I think, and this wasn't planned. So like when the Bible was written, there were no verses and chapters. It's all one complete letter. But, you know, later on they made it like this, and thankfully, so we can like memorize and understand. But he says this. He says, we know what real love is. How do we know what real love is? It's not because of what my dad did for me, but it goes deeper than that. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
That's a huge ask, right? Like you know what real love is because it was sacrifice. Love does. We know what real love is. And my fear is that many of us don't know what real love is. We don't understand sacrificial love, and some call it agape love. In some circumstances in Scripture, there's these different you know, Greek words they use, and it's the sacrificial love that gives up for the other person. And John used that in the context of Christian community. Like, we should give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. When's the last time you sacrificed for somebody else in the body of Christ? So they... Like right now, do you understand that while you're sitting in here, there are people living that love out in 1 John 3, 16. They're over there in the kids' ministry right now. They're in the nursery right now. And you're sitting here quietly listening to Scripture, and they're literally giving up their time listening to your kids scream at them, (laughs) changing their diaper while you're sitting here. Right? There are people that sacrifice because when's the last time you sacrificed for another brother or sister in Christ? When was the last time that a missionary you put on the screen, you, you sacrificed and gave so they could share the gospel, right? Think about that. Love does. And so what, what we had to do is this, and here's something that I've had to learn and maybe you've had to learn. I want you to write this down because you don't feel like it. Choose to act in love even when you don't feel like it. If we got this one part right here, it would radically change our lives. Because we love based on feeling. And if we're feeling it, we'll do it. If we're not, we don't. See, most marriage experts and relationship experts uh, call it love by decision. And I learned this way before I got married. You know, thank God that we were actually reading books about this before we got married. If you're single in here and think this doesn't apply to me, I was reading books way before I met my wife because you you can't get into a boxing ring and start preparing five minutes before, can you? I remember one person I knew that was single, and, and, and they're, they're not at this church. That they, they move far, far away. And they were always mad when I taught them relationship stuff until they met that person. And then they wanted everything I knew. I was like, but you didn't come to our series because this didn't apply to you because you were single. It applies to all of us in here. Because love by decision, not by emotion, is huge. Marriage experts say this. They say that 1.5 to 2 years, the fuzzies wear off. And that's why people who jump into a quick relationship, especially really early if they're young and they jump into it, about a year and a half, two years, they say, well, I, just don't, it, I, don't, I don't feel like I love them anymore. I just don't have that same feeling that I used to have. Well, duh, that's what happens. And it's called loving someone by decision, even when you don't feel like it. You know, most pastors that I coach, and when they go into a brand new church, I'm like, hey, all right, man, I said, you've got a year and a half to two years. And the honeymoon period is over for you, pastor. They're going to put up with you. They're going to love you by feeling. You're going to love them by feeling. And then it's going to hit the fan. What is it? It's pudding, right? That's, that's what it is. And the same thing is true relationships. What we do is we love based on feeling. See, Jesus modeled this. He didn't love by feeling. Matter of fact, Jesus did not want to go to the cross and die for you and me. We think he just was like, oh, man, I can't wait. Peter, James, John, I can't, man, I'm good. this is going to be awesome. Jesus did not want to have to do it. See, it's easy to love somebody who's like worthy of your love, right? We weren't worthy of his love. We were sinners. We were enemies of God by the wicked works of our mind, the writer in Colossians says, right? 
And Jesus, the night before he's going to be beaten and crucified, you know this, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he kneels down and he says this, God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Now, I've said this, if, if Buddha can do it, God, if all religions are one, if we all need to just coexist, then let, let me not go to the cross. And Jesus in that moment, and we don't know how long that he wrestled with this because it's an all-night prayer. John, who heard this prayer, records it in John 17. I don't know how long you know, Jesus wrestled, but at one point he says, nevertheless, not my will, not what I want in my emotional self, but it's what you want, God. And Jesus went to the cross for us. He loved us by decision, not by emotion. And I believe that while, while many relationships fail on many different levels, is because we don't understand this type of love. We've been lied to about love. And so what I, what I want to do is show you relationally how this works out in marriage. And if you're not married, you say, well, I'm not married. We never know. You might get married. Well, I'm not getting married again. Well, you have somebody in your life that's going to need this counseling, right? So if you're not married, don't plan on it again. Learn this so you can help somebody with it. But if you are married in here, if you one day hope to be married, you have to understand this. This is key. And here it is, because this is what that sacrificial love does. Here's what that is. The love of marriage, you can write this down in your notes, the love of marriage is a covenant, not a contract. The love of marriage, of biblical marriage, is a covenant, not a contract. In Scripture, God has two covenants that he recognizes on earth at this point in time. The first covenant is between us and Christ. It's not a contract. It's not like, hey, if you can be good enough and live up to it, I'll do my part. God's like, man, when you come into Christ, I'll never leave or forsake you. I'll put my spirit in you. It's a covenant that he has with you, not a contract. And many of you treat your salvation like a contract. You think if you stump your toe and say a cuss word, then you're not going to heaven. What the rapture happens at that point. You have a covenant with God. Isn't that amazing? We have entered into covenant with Almighty God through Christ. The second covenant is the one that God established in Genesis, and then Jesus also reestablishes this two times in the New Testament. It's a covenant between a man and woman in marriage. And he says it in Genesis, don't, don't, don't get mad at me. And then Jesus says the same thing in Matthew, that when you stand in front of God, when a man and woman stands in front of God, you are not signing up for a contract. And I don't know where we miss this at, but we literally stand before God under covenant and we're like, for richer or poor or sickness or in health and, uh, you know, all those things in the really eerie part, like it's kind of like, ooh, till death do us part, right? Like that's, <laughs> sure, let's enter into that. Sounds fun. Uh, but we come into covenant before Almighty God, but we end up treating it like a contract. Because we believe love is a noun, not a verb. And when you come into covenant with God under that sacred covenant, you have a responsibility and a calling before God Almighty to live your part out. What about them? I'm not talking about them. You can't change them, but you can change you because you entered into that covenant, and that's what you have to do. So here's what it is. If the love of marriage is a covenant, not a contract, a, a contract is built upon mutual distrust. That's what a contract is. 
Like, if you sign a contract with somebody about something, right? It's, I mean, and there are contracts we do have on earth, and that's smart to have. In case this goes south, here's a contract. But a contract's built on mutual distrust. If you go into a marriage, I'm not saying this right or wrong, but like a prenuptial agreement, you're like, look, I got my stuff, you got your stuff, the two are not becoming one. Honey, I want to keep this because I really don't trust you. And this probably won't last long anyway. So when it goes south, I want to make sure I can keep my stuff, you can keep yours. That's what a contract is. But a covenant, and watch this then, write this in your notes, a covenant is built on mutual commitment. Mutual commitment, where both parties are committed to the person, not the contract. Does that make sense? That you have mutual commitment. That's why when you take those vows, you are committing to that person before God Almighty in covenant. And we miss that so many times. We forget about that so many times. I think there are a few things that would help marriages tremendously and help people tremendously. Number one, when you're tempted in pornography or affairs or thinking thoughts that you shouldn't think, think about how beautiful your wife was, man, when she walked down that aisle. And her eyes when she looked at you and she put her full trust in you. Fully committed to you. I think sometimes you need to look at the vows that you actually said to each other and think about those when you're mad at that person, you're not getting along. Because if we don't understand covenant love, we will always see failure in relationships. And here are two thoughts on covenant love. Here's the differences and similarities between them. I wanna share this with you today. To give you a little more, more clarity is this. Covenant love sacrifices for the other while contract love is selfish. Covenant love sacrifices for the other person, while contract love is really selfish. I'll never forget um, in our premarital counseling, I sat with Dr. Oxley and her husband, Mr. Oxley, and he was a biblical uh, professor. She was a psychologist, and they talked about that. And they said marriage is the first thing that will test your level of selfishness like, like nothing else before. That's the first thing. They said the second thing is years later for us, when a child comes along, you'll find out how selfish you really are. And many times, if you're finding impasses in your relationship, it's selfishness. It's selfishness. Remember we said about love in 1 Corinthians 13? It does not demand its own way. I want my way. My wife and I laugh about that. We're both type A's. We're both D's in the disc and eights on the Enneagram. If you know any of that, you know that we both want it exactly the way we want it. I'm a very routine individual. I wake up at the same time. I want to eat the same food all the time. I want to stay on track. Don't put me off my routine. And she's the same way. And if I didn't understand this thing here, it would have ruined our marriage. As a matter of fact, I've told you this story before. I, I, I realized how selfish I was about five years ago. I was the baby child. Uh, my brother growing up was 11 years older than me. So my brother the other day was like, hey, you need to have another kid because he needs a brother like me and you were brothers. I was like, bro, brothers, you were like uncle brother. Like you left when I was seven years old. Like you were gone to college. I didn't see you. I spent more time as the only child in the home than I did when you were there. I was like, I don't, you know, we were laughing about that. But I did. I grew up as the baby child. I was the youngest of all the cousins in my family. And my grandmother spoiled me. My dad was much kinder to me than he was my older brother. And I was a selfish individual. You put a type A in that type of environment, right? Enneagram 8, disc D, very selfish. 
I was single, you know, for a long time before I met my wife. And you know this, the longer you're single, the more you just kind of like, hey, I like myself. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And we both are that way. We kinda, I kind of enjoy myself. I can hang out myself and have a good time. I don't, I don't need anybody else. But when we had our child, I was everything that 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't. I found out how selfish I really was because I wanted my time. I wanted to play PlayStation like a little 13-year-old child. I wanted to go do my thing, watch the game. I wanted to do all this. I was angry because I'd lost control of my schedule. That's where anger comes from when you can't control something. You get angry about it. You can't control the person, the circumstance. And, and, and I, I became incre increasingly, my anger, as I told you, just started hitting the roof. But it's all rooted in selfishness. It's incredibly selfish. And I punished my wife through being irritable and being upset and frustrated and angry and all those things. And I had to make a decision. Will I be selfish or will I live up to my part of the covenant of marriage? This is why, men, you do not want to sit with me and talk about marriage and the covenant. God gives you a higher responsibility than the woman. I don't know why, but he calls you to that. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And in that moment, I had to make a decision. Am I, am, am I going to live by contract or covenant? Because my wife said, honey, we can't live like this. We're not going to live like this. I refuse to be treated this way. You cannot do this to me. I never hit my wife, never cursed at her. I was, I was the pastoral version of a really bad husband. <laughs> and many of you today realize in your life, that selfishness is ruining relationships. It's demanding its own way. It's not patient. It's not kind because you don't have the verb type of love. You're not understanding the covenant that you're in. Matter of fact, when it comes to, to sacrifice, I ask my wife this, this often, and this will, this will get you in a lot of trouble, husbands. Matter of fact, I want you to do this this month. Honey, how can I be a better husband? Where am I failing what can I do to make you feel more valued? And I ask it time to time. And my wife, again, responds with some of the same things it always is, right? She said, you can be more patient and less frustrated when things go, don't go your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And please let me get that car that I want. I was like, no, 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 that's not what it's about. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Paid off cars better than the car with debt, right? So I was like, no. But I will stop being frustrated and I will start being more patient to you because I want you to feel valued. Then she asked me, what can I do better? I said, you know, there's, there's times I don't think you value me enough. I, I, I do a lot for you. It's like I'm, I'm, like, I'm like the little kid working really hard for his dad, and his dad won't give him the approval. I, I kind of do that for you. I said, I don't think you, you know that, that you even notice I do all these things for you. She said, I'm really sorry. I'm going I'm, I'm to work to do better at that. That's covenant. Contract is I want this. And the other person says, I want this. We're to stand off, and we refuse to give in. Covenant doesn't do that. Covenant sacrifices for the other. Jesus sacrificed for us. Therefore, that's now why we sacrifice for him. Contract love is selfish. And finally this morning, covenant love doesn't quit easily. Contract love looks for an easy way out. Covenant love is not going to quit that easy. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not getting out of this thing that easy. No, 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 no. We'll see every counselor in Richmond until we get out of this thing. We're going to work this thing, baby. We're not going to, because we took a covenant before God. And we made a covenant before him. 
And we're not going to try to get out of this thing easily. And so for me, I've told you my story, and, and I continue. Is that, yeah, I, I had to go, man, I'm good at counseling. Told you that, tell you that again. If you're new here at Thrive, you'll hear that. Because I wanted to start a, a journey there. And the reason I did that, can I tell you something? I told you about my dad and his sacrifice. I watched my mom and dad. They, they never divorced. They were married 43 years and were sweethearts for 47 because they, they, they first started dating in ninth grade in high school. I watched my mom and dad who were not believers. My mom was the practical atheist. She went to church, just didn't live it. But I believe in God, just won't live it. She did that. But they weren't believers. They weren't really followers of Jesus. And I watched them beat the living tar out of each other. Like when they would fight, it was like Jerry Springer, y'all. It wasn't like, it wasn't like my dad beat my mom. If my dad raised his fist, she would throw plates at him. I mean, they would just would fall out brawls in the house, y'all. Like I'm just hiding in my room like, oh. And I would tiptoe through all the broken plates and glass and spaghetti on the walls and our parakeet flying around. And, you know, like I just sneak out and go, and when I come back, mama had it all cleaned up. Like it never even happened, sir, bro, right? And I watched them over the years. They never gave up. And you know why? They weren't followers of Jesus. But my dad would tell me, son, we, we vowed before God in this. We're not quitting. We vowed before God with this. We're not. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, but we can't get that as followers of Jesus, right? We're like, peace out. I ain't, I ain't got the feels anymore. And I could go on and on about stories of them drinking and fighting and screaming and cussing over and over and over again. But the story that I remember the most is my mom was diagnosed with cancer. As they got older, they got better like fine wine, man. Because when she would, was diagnosed with cancer, my dad waited hand and foot on her while he had to still be the VP of operations for a huge company. Hand and foot, every appointment, whatever she wanted. And I watched a man who was incredibly selfish, and that's where I get it from, become selfless. I said, man, that's what covenant love is. When she couldn't do for herself, when she couldn't do anything for him, he sacrificed for her. I don't know where you're at today. And maybe you're in between relationships and you're not there. Maybe you got divorced. You're like, man, is this, this is not to beat you up. What happened, happened. We can't change that. And God forgives, he forgets. Don't, don't beat yourself up for that. From this day forward, though, guess what you can do? You can live this out from this day forward. We can't change what happened, but we can change what will happen by understanding love does. And so for some of you, it's in Christian community. Are you sacrificing for your brothers and sisters like Christ sacrificed for you? If you're not married, you're thinking, man, how does it apply? That, that's, how, that's how it applies to you. For you that are young in here and you've yet to ever enter the covenant of marriage, this is what biblical love and biblical marriage is. It's not like what the world offers you. It's something completely different. And for all of us in here today, let me tell you this. When you look at what Christ did for us on that cross, that is covenant love. And that's how we should live it out. Love does. Love does. It's not love is, love does. As I told you when I looked at 1 Corinthians 13, you cannot live this love out 
by trying harder. You're going to need the help of God to do this in your life. It took me saying, and I still say, God, please help this really impatient, easily angered, frustrated man. Because I cannot do this on my own. And if you don't help me, I'll never get there. It's admitting your weakness so God can make you strong. Let's pray this morning. God, we need you. We can't live this out by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to help us, God, to be that 1 Corinthians 13 type of love in every area of our life, God. In Christian community, with our children, in marriage, even in friendship, God, we need this so the world can see this type of love. 